So John 8, starting in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let us pray. Lord, what a striking passage. As we see you do not mince words, that you are very clear with the Jews and their status and where they stand. So Lord, I pray for each and every single one of our hearts. I pray that you may call out the false realities that we are living if we are living in them. That you may call out the sin, Lord, that is sitting in our hearts, causing us to believe so many different lies. And Lord, I pray that your grace may be there for us, Lord, to comfort us, to bring us into your fold, that we may repent and turn from our sins. Thank you that you have brought us into your family. And I pray for us as we look at this passage to see the words you have to say. May we see how we can examine ourselves, Lord, according to your word. We might find comfort, Lord, knowing that you have made us children, that you have brought us into your family. And you have loved us beyond what we can even imagine. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is outside of us and on paper. That we can all look at it and examine it. And see what you have to say to your people. May we receive it, Lord, as your word. Amen. Alright, so for the past couple of weeks we've been going through John. And actually for a lot longer. But in particular, this discourse between Jesus and the Jews. And a common thing that's been happening between Jesus and Jews is... They'll say, this is who we are, this is what we do, and something about themselves, and Jesus will say, no, you're not. This is who I am. And so they've been constantly going back and forth and contrasting, especially starting back in um, chapter 8, verse 12, starting from there until now. And even when they're coming back at Jesus, they're not just saying, oh, we don't believe you. They're rejecting him. They're calling him a liar. And even next week, we're going to see they call him of the devil. So this disbelief and this lie that they're believing digs deeper each time that we see Jesus tell them, no, you are not who you say you are. And finally, coming to last week, where Jesus acknowledged that, yes, they are offspring of Abraham, but he says something at the end of verse 38. He says, even though Abraham is their, their offspring, that he is not their father. And that's where we pick up now today in verse 39. 
where the Jews are now responding to Jesus after Jesus telling them that Abraham is not their father and this is their response. And so they said, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And so you see, they're digging deep. They say, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Abraham is our father. And Jesus continues on and rejects his claim, and this is how he does it. He says, if you are Abraham's children, you will be doing the works Abraham did. And so we see one of the first principles we can see out of this passage is that their works reveal who their father truly is. And what an interesting word like father. And it can even be confusing at this time of seeing they're his offspring, but they're not his father. What does that actually mean? And so I'm going to actually read out of this dictionary. It's a helpful little word study. So there's plenty of resources like this that I recommend that help to give better understanding of some of these biblical words because of the context that they're coming out of. And they help us understand these words better. And so the word that's used here for father is pater. And so I'm going to read from, from this book. Sorry from this word study that help us to get a little better sense of the range of what father means. So it says, in classical Greek, pater means not only father, but also the patriarch of a family, or in the plural, ancestors generally. In a figurative sense, pater is used as a title of respect for a venerable old man. It also de denotes intellectual or spiritual fatherhood so that a philosopher may be called the father or his fathers. And in the mis mystery religious religions, the one who conducts the ceremony of initiation can be described as father of the newly initiated. And so we see that the word father is not only pertaining to physical, but it also has a spiritual implication. And so Jesus can say, yes, you have physically come from Abraham and his lineage, but you are not of his children spiritually. And we see this difference between them. And we're going to look at some of the works that Jesus is alluding to that Abraham did that they did not. And so turn with me to Genesis 18. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 to see some of these works that Abraham did that the Jews are not doing. Sorry, Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, which I while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they did. Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, Quick, three sails of fine flour, knead it and make, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So the very first thing I want us to see is the person that Abraham is speaking to is referenced as the Lord. 
And this, even though it just happens a couple times in this passage, and if you go on, if you extend out to the rest of this cha- that chapter, it happens 11 more times that the person he's speaking to is called the Lord. And so this means that Abraham was speaking to God. And what this is, a theological term is called a theophany. And basically what that means is an appearance of God. It's God manifesting the self to man. And in more particular times, we call them Christophanies, which would be Christ manifesting himself to man. And so though it does not explicitly say this is a Christophany, we can assume that is at minimum we know that Abraham was speaking to God. And we see that he operates very differently than how the Jews did. When he saw them, he bowed. And he sought to serve them, and not with hesitation, but quickly. He asked them, did they need anything? Please stay. Please let me serve you. This is the opposite of what the Jews did when they interacted with Jesus. They questioned him. They desired to kill him. They wanted him to leave. They wanted him to stop speaking. And so we see this contrast between Abraham and the Jews. This father that they're claiming their works were nothing like his. Because when God came to speak to them, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to refute him. They wanted to catch him in a lie. So we see that Abraham and these Jews were nothing alike. And so we gather our first characteristic of a child of God is that they desire to serve God. And I know for many of us, that desire sometimes eludes us. We desire to spend more time doing all kinds of other things. We look at our lives and we say, I'm not matching up to that. I don't have that desire as I know I ought to. And I'm reminded constantly, and I pray you guys do the same with this particular passage of Hebrews 3, where it tells us, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so when we hear the word of God come to us and expose that sin, that sin of not desiring after God, that sin of desiring other things, desiring to chase after idols and whatever else we fill into that box. Do not harden your heart. Do not remain there. Do not wallow in your sin. Turn. Turn, turn, turn while you have today because you do not know what tomorrow is. But today when we hear the word of God calling out sin in our life, we are to turn. And by his grace, and his grace alone, can we genuinely desire to serve him. It is by his grace that this heart can praise and worship him. Any other ways, any other means, they just will not match. They are not enough. They are insufficient. So I pray as you look at your life and seeing your own desire, that you look to Christ. That you look to him to give you the strength to be able to desire him to serve him, to love him. And this is what the Jews were missing because they did not desire to serve him, but they rather wanted to kill him. So let's continue now into verse 40. It says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Like I just said, as he was reaffirming, they were contrary to Abraham was. And they desired to kill Christ, which is contrary to the way that Abraham lived and contrary to the way that Abraham served God. And as we continue on to verse 41, you are doing the works of your father. 
your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So in that beginning of them not being of their father, we're going to push out to verse 44, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I want us to focus in on this claim that they make, which is a little bit strange, where they say we are not born of sexual immorality. And then they reference God as their father. As we know, obviously, they're not talking about a physical relationship with God, but a spiritual relationship. As we see in Deuteronomy that God calls Israel his son. And so he is to regard as a father to Israel. And even though this reference is not common in the Old Testament, it is one that the Jews did believe. So let's look at why they said we're not born of sexual immorality. If you spend time in the Old Testament, you'll see that God often refers to idolatry as adultery. And so what they're saying here is we are faithful Jews. We are of God. God is our father. We are not like you, as like I said, they will talk about Jesus later on. and They have before of condemning him. We have been faithful. God is our father. And this reality or this picture of idolatry and adultery being synonymous is laid out very graphically in Hosea. And we're going to actually look at one of the passages in Hosea. And if you look at it's going to be Hosea, it's going to be chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. It'll be on the screen. But just to give you a little background of what's going on in Hosea, is God has called Hosea to marry a woman who is going to be an adulterer. And there's something I realized as I was reading this, this passage this week was, it didn't say that she started off as that way. That they married each other and she went off into adultery. And this was the picture of Israel and God that he had birthed this nation. And over time, they slowly but surely made their way chasing after idols, loving after other gods. And we see God still being there for them, still calling them to repent, still calling them to turn, loving them. And this is what he was calling Hosea to do, to give a visible picture of his relationship with Israel. And honestly, God chose the right person because I could not do that. I'll just be honest. That's just a, that is a, a, a true faithfulness to God for Hosea to know the woman he's going to marry is going to go off and marry. Not, I'm sorry, not marry, but be a prostitute and have other children and to do all kinds of other wickedness. But yet still loving her and setting this picture of us of what God looks like. And so let's look on the screen, and this will help us to get a better sense of what the Jews are talking about. So it says, Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. As he was describing Israel, the Jews are saying, that's not who we are. We have not gone after other gods. We have remained faithful to the one God, the one true God. We are not like those adulterous people. We are not like the Samaritans who have intermingled and have gone after other gods. We're going to see that Jesus is going to break down that claim also. That they actually are idolatrous and that they do not have faith in the one true God. So let us now look at the next verse. So in verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. 
I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So we pick up our second characteristic of a child of God. That characteristic is that they will love the Son of God. As Jesus said that their father is not God because they do not love Jesus. And this is something that we hear often throughout the scriptures of Jesus and the father being synonymous, that to love one is to love the other and to hate one is to hate the other. But the question is, why? Why does loving God and loving Jesus mean the same thing? And this is a good question even for us to look at today as we look at other religions and many people who claim God as their father. I promise you, you don't have to look far. All you need to really do is look at what do they say about Jesus. When you see the relationship that they have about Jesus, it reveals really where their heart is. They say Jesus is just a man. They're not speaking of this Jesus. They say that God the Father is above and Jesus is just something else. They are not speaking of this Jesus. So this is helpful for us to know that to love God the Father is to love Jesus. And we're going to look at a couple passages where Jesus says this directly and also in Hebrews. And those also are going to be on the screen. So we're going to look at John 14, verses 6 through 10. And see what Jesus has to say about his relationship with the Father. So Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Keep that passage in mind. We're going to look at Hebrews now. Hebrews 1, verse 3. So Hebrews 1, verse 3. And this is in reference to Christ. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we see clearly that Jesus and the Father have the exact same nature and the exact same character. And so this God that they're saying that they love and that is their father, they cannot be speaking of the father that we know. Because if they're hating Jesus, they're also hating the father. Because Jesus says clearly that he does not speak on his authority, own authority. The words that he's speaking, he's heard from the Father. The deeds that he's doing, the Father has told him to do. So Jesus, on behalf of the Father, is doing these things and saying these things. So when they're saying that they reject Jesus and calling him a liar and all these things, they're actually saying that they hate the Father and they reject the Father. And so we see this contradiction in the Jews. That they believe that the Father is their God, but Jesus is some Samaritan and some devil. But we see these two things cannot mix. And I know for many of us, that's not probably something we struggle with. 
Because a lot of us, our introduction to Christianity was through Christ. We, we didn't grow up in a religion like this, like the Jews. But there is something I know that some of us do struggle with. And let's broaden this out that we love the Son of God, but also we love the children of God. And so the question is then, how are we doing with that? When it comes to the children of God, we may love the Son of God and say, Jesus, I love him. I'm all for Jesus. I have my faith in Jesus. I spend my time with Jesus. But how is our relationship also with the children of God? Because God has adopted us into his family. And so we are to love other believers, to care for other believers, because they are God's children. And if you don't believe me, if you think I'm just pulling this out of my own head, let's look at 1 John 5, verses 1 through 2, which John will tell us clearly. So John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And so we see John continuing this thought of the children of God. is If we are born of God, we will love the children of God. And often why we struggle with that is because we are not relating with other believers from that identity of being children of God. We relate to them from our natural identity of this is my family. This is my natural family. This is where I spend my time, where I pour into, I focus in on. But it should not be so. Our identity in Christ should inform how we live out our natural relationships, not the reverse. It should not be the opposite, that our natural relationships inform the way that we interact with other believers. It should not be so. Because if we see ourselves as children of God, then we see each other as family. Not just a person that I see on Sunday, not just a person that I go to church with, but we are a family, part with the blood of Christ, adopted into his fold. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and if God, he's willing to die for them, and that is the value he puts upon his children, should we not value them saying that we should love them? and care for them, and give up ourselves for our brothers and sisters. Not seeking our own, but seeking to serve each other. And so let us identify primarily as children of God and allow that to inform how we interact, firstly, with the Son of God, and then secondarily, with His children. And let us not be like the Jews, who... Jesus, as he says in verse 43, which we're going to also be pushed up ahead, and, uh, it'll make sense during that. But they could not bear this when they heard it. Let us not reject this and say, no, 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 I need to focus in on my family. I need to be with mine. And also do not think I'm saying that we should not care for our own, we should not care for our, our family of our kinsmen. We should, but that should be in relation to our relationship with Christ. So let's continue now to verse 44. So in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, 
He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So one of the first things I want to do with this is, like I said from the beginning, the call back to that is that it's not talking about a physical or even that Satan is creating people. As we understand, God is the creator of all men. This is not saying that Satan has created a lineage of people. But as we were talking about from the beginning, that the things that they did, their works, they were like Satan. And so rightly, Jesus says to them, your spiritual father, it's not Abraham, it's not God, but it is Satan. Because your works are like his. And we see Jesus is not pulling any punches. They go from one high of God is our father. He takes it to the complete other side of no, 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 no. You're on the complete opposite, that your father is Satan. And why so extreme? Isn't there like a drop off in between that? Why does it have to go from children of God all the way up to children saying, can't we just be neutral? But as we'll see in scripture, that scripture does not leave us a place of in between. There is no place of neutrality. That is clear that we're either children of God or children of Satan. And there is no other option. I know that's a hard thing to realize as there's many people we know that do not know Christ and we love them. And the thought of calling them children of Satan, it's difficult for us. But we must see what the scriptures say about this. So let's turn to Ephesians 2. And this will help us to get a clearer picture of how Paul describes those who are not under the grace of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Of his grace. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then we see clearly Paul's description of us before being saved by that great grace. That we are children of wrath, sons of disobedience. And it doesn't say that they were doing it by accident or that they were forced. They were willfully following after the spirit of this age, which we know that the Bible references as the devil. And so we see this willingness of even ourselves 
before Christ saved us, of conforming to this world. And as Jesus even says here in John, that their will is to do the desires of their Father. And this is a sad reality of the state of those who do not know Christ. And it also even helps us to know that another concept that's, I say, a contemporary concept, is a universal fatherhood of God. It refutes that also. And so there's a church historian by the name of Adolf von Hardnack. Sorry for my German. Um, so he's a German church historian back from the early 19th century, or late 19th century. And he wrote a book titled, What is a Christian? And he was a product of his time because technology and travel were evolving. And so many ideas that were relegated to certain places were now being able to come together. And so a common theme of German liberalism, the Germans at this time, was that they were trying to find what is the thing that lies between them all? What is the connection point? And what he came to, and in his book, he had said that there's a universal fatherhood of God. There's a universal brotherhood of man. And I'll quote it right here. And lastly, there's infinite value in the human soul so much that it can unite with God. You probably wonder, what does this have to do with this passage of Jesus calling them the father and this man right here? If you realize these are themes that are even in our day today, that many will believe that God is a father of all, that there's this universal brother and man because we are all humankind. And the biggest one is that There is something inside of us without a change, without Christ saving us, without us being turned, that we can come to ourselves, that we can muster up enough, that we can be our best selves. And this stemmed from him believing that God was the father of all, and so therefore blessing every single person. And so we see that as Jesus is calling their father the devil, that this is important to understand, not to condemn, not to beat people over the head with, so that we understand their state. So we understand that when this is messed up, when this is wrong, it can lead in so many different wrong directions. That this is where he led to, and many people believe this in this time. That in us is where we find truth. In us is where we find reality. In us is what it takes to get to God. And so we see the lie that started off with believing that God is father of all that led down a very bad path. And we see the fruit of it in our day so many different times. And so as we see Jesus talk about this, let us not take this lightly. Let us not just take this as something. He's just being mean. But he's he's letting them know so that they can come to reality. That they are not God's children. That they may turn. That they may be accepted by God. That they may repent of their sins. He's telling them so that they may turn. And let us do the same when we speak to people about this and we see the reality in our own lives that by his grace we are no longer sons of disobedience children of wrath chasing after the spirit of this earth rather we can be called sons and daughters of the most high king what a beautiful reality now let's continue on We're back in John. So after now telling them about the father, Jesus says still in verse 44, he says he was a murderer from the beginning 
and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So Jesus uses two ways, starting off with this first one of them being a murder, where he shows them how they are actually like their father. And we're not going to turn there, but in 1 John 3, 21, John explains why Cain killed Abel. And he says that he killed him because he was of the evil one. And he killed his brother because his deeds were righteous. And so in explaining Cain and Abel, he says that the reason that Cain killed Abel was because Cain was righteous. I'm sorry, that Abel was righteous and that Cain was not. And we see this mirroring with these Jews also. That they had dug so deep into this lie, they had believed this lie for so long. That they wanted to murder Jesus because he was speaking truth to them. That he was righteous, that he was without sin. And they still desired to murder him. And so we see their lineage is not like Abraham, but more like the lineage of Cain. And ultimately, their father is more in line with Satan. And the second one he picks up is by by describing Satan as a liar. So continuing still in verse 44. And he says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of of lies. So in this passage where it talks about not being able to stand in the truth. So we are kind of statement, but it's helpful to understand that Satan was not created evil. He was not created bad. He was not created corrupted. He was created good like all of God's creation when he was created. But as it tells us, he could not stand. He did not remain. He did not abide in the truth. But he desired to chase after the lie. And scripture doesn't give us exactly what happened in the interaction, but there are some allusions, especially in Revelations. And then also in Jude, where it talks about angels falling because of their desire to take over authority. And we see this exact same lie that he told Eve. Did God really say, don't you want to be like him? Don't you want to be like him and have the power that he has to be able to see as he does? And we see this lie that Satan started from the beginning and it perpetuates even to us because don't you want to be God of your life don't you want to dictate how things go don't you want to be the master of your faith it's that challenge is still for us even to today the submission unto the Lord and to not fall into this lie that Satan perpetuates and the Jews were believing because not only were they just speaking lies, and as we see even that they will try to get other people to speak lies to condemn Jesus, but they were even living a false identity, which is also a lie. They're parading themselves as righteous. They're parading themselves as God's children. As you know, the scripture tells us they were nothing but whitewashed tombs. And this is a genuine warning for us. They're a caution tale. That our faith be genuine, that we're not just masquerading as believers. That we're not just coming to church and smiling and saying God is good and everything is good. That our faith is genuine in Christ. And let us see the Jews and how the lie didn't just start at the beginning, but it kept going and they kept digging deeper until the point where they believed their lie. And they did not receive the truth. Because as Jesus says of Satan, because there was no truth in him. 
And they were just like their father, following after the lie. So now let's pick up again verse 45 and 46. Jesus says, but because I tell you, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? So verse 45 is another one that we're going to deal with at the very last. And verse 47, but let's focus on verse 46. So I know this question that Jesus asked is one that's easy to pass over. That he asked, which one of you convicts me of sin? But well, this is actually an amazing thing that he's just saying there in his question that it's inferring. The only reason that he can ask that question is because he had to be sinless. He had to be without sin for him to say, who convicts me of sin? And knowing nobody could. This is an amazing thing as we see that Jesus is sinless. I know this is something that's common to us. We hear all the time that Jesus is sinless. But let's think about this in our own lives. How much does sin infect our lives? How weary are we are of our own hearts? How defeating, how much guilt does sin bring us when we fall into it? We see the power that sin has in our lives. We see how corrupting it is. And we see that Jesus, though he was tempted, he did not sin. And if you've ever been tempted, which we all have, we know that temptation, the one who truly endures temptation, who makes it to the end. Because it's easy to just give in to the temptation at the beginning. It's easy to give in at a point. Some of the greatest joys in our lives will be when we're able to endure through temptation and not give in to sin. And we see this is what Jesus did, that he lived this life that we could not. If it were up to us, as we see, none of us are sinless. We would all fall, and we do fall. But glory be to God that Jesus was sinless and is sinless. That he lived the life that we could not live. Not only died for us, but he lived a perfect life so that you did not have to. That he has merited salvation because we could not. He has lived this out and we praise him for it. It's such a beautiful thing to see that Jesus was sinless, that he was perfect. And also in his death, that that sinlessness of being this spotless lamb. He was unblemished. He was not corrupted. And so all these things that he said we can trust because we are knowing that they're not coming from a sinful place. But they're coming from our Lord and our Savior who is perfect. And so just be in amazement of how wonderful the thing that Jesus did, that he lived a sinless life in the midst of so much corruption. And even as he was being beaten, even as these people are lying, even as they're attacking him, he still did not sin. It's such a beautiful picture of our Savior. Such a wonderful thing to contemplate of how good Jesus truly is. So let's continue on. Verse 47. It says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So as I've been pushing a lot of the verses up to this point, it's because these answer the question of each of these verses. From 42, where he, he talks about, 
I've not come on my own accord. And he continues on to say, why do you not understand what I say? And he asks him, why do you not believe me? It's this reason, because they are not of God. And this is the third characteristic of the children of God, is that they receive the truth of God. And this is why the Jews could not, because they were not of God. And this is another one of those realities that we know that are we receive the truth of God, that's good. This is another thing that is amazing to genuinely contemplate and realize what this is saying to us. That I didn't say my truth or your truth or even our truth, but the truth. This is opposite to our nature. We desire to believe what we construct. It is only believable if we agree with it. That is our sinful nature. And what an amazing thing that God is able to change our hearts, that we receive his truth. I know we've probably seen this in our times of studying scripture. But there's something that we'll read and it's like, this is hard to believe. This is hard to embrace. But by the spirit of God, we are able to. By God's grace, we are able to receive his word as true. We are able to live it out because of his grace. So see, this is not something that is of the norm. That people would submit to God. That they would embrace his truth as the truth. And not our truth as the truth. And so as we, in our time, relativism is everywhere. Where it's your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Don't tell me anything otherwise. Live your best time. Everything is about how you view things. And we know it's only by the spirit of God that we can live opposite of that. And we don't have to give into that lie. We can embrace the truth of God by the spirit. God. And this is what the Jews did not. And they heard Christ speaking the truth of God. They did opposite. Let us not be like that. When we hear the word of God, when we see God's word, we hear it read, when we read it ourselves, when we teach it to others, may we believe, may we embrace, may we receive it as that the truth of God and desire to submit our lives according to it and not desire to do as the world may tell us or find shortcuts around but embrace the truth of God for what it is. So as we come to a conclusion, you've seen in this passage that the children of God will desire to serve God. They will love the Son of God and they will receive the truth of God. And something I want to do before I close, because I know reading a passage like this and, and looking at this, many times there's four different kind of normal reactions. And so the first one is we'll agonize over our inability to live up to this. We'll say, I struggle to desire him. I struggle to love him. And I struggle to embrace the truth. And we'll beat ourselves up and say, well, what's the point of moving forward? Because I've messed up so many times. I'm just not good enough. I can't do it. I, I, and I. And so my call to you is focus on Christ. Don't just focus on what you can and cannot do. But look to Christ to be your strength. Look to him to be your guide. Look to him to be that Christ that you need to do these very things. 
Not a, let us not focus only in on our sin and our inability, but look at his ability and what he has done. So for the second person, the one who says, I do just enough, I, I'm, I'm good. These things are good, I'm, I feel enough, I live my life, but you know, I have everything in order in these particular areas. Something I've been thinking a lot about this particular week is why do we want to just do enough? The things that we read of God doing in Scripture, the people of God, are amazing. The works that they do are amazing. How he conquers sin in their heart is amazing, and in our hearts also. Let us not just look to do enough, or quote-unquote enough to be a child of God. What if we start looking at our lives and our relationship with God of how far, how much, how wide, how much of this heart Lord, can you put to death the sin in his heart? How many people could I serve? How much time could I spend with you? How much more can I look like a child of yours? So let us not look to just what is the bare minimum to be called a child of God. But I ask the Lord how far. For the third person, the overly confident one, he says, I have no problem with this. I'm all good. That I maximize things. I love the Lord. I serve. I embrace truth. I'm good. Like I've been saying repeatedly about the Jews. That was their problem. That they trusted too much in their own selves. Let us not be like those people. Let us trust in Christ. Let us be reminded that the only reason why there's any good in us is because of God. It is only by his grace that you are able to sustain. It is only by his grace that we're able to serve. Let us be reminded of that when we desire to puff ourselves up and act as if it's us that is so good. Let's come back to reality, to the source, that it is God who has given us the strength to be able to live lives that are faithful to him. So fourth and lastly, the one who knows they are not a child of God, who hears this in the reality of being under Satan. And I know the desire to say, no, 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 I'm not a child of Satan. This doesn't matter. Like I, That's not who I am. I'm not that kind of person. As I said from the beginning, I'll continue to say, today when you hear his voice, you hear his word, do not rebel. Turn and find life. Find a father who cares for us. A father who loves us. Father who has brought us into his fold. As the psalmist says, the mother and father may forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Let us pray.